freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number 367 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is Think Like a Survivor. Our guest today is Stephen Williford. Stephen is a hero in the Sutherland Springs Massacre. On, this, on the morning of Sunday, November 5th, 2017, Stephen performed a courageous act of faith and heroism, alerted by his daughter that a mass shooting was occurring at the neighboring First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Stephen wasted no time in response. Stephen confronted the murderer without hesitation, his many hours logged at the gun range and his years experience in gun safety helped prepare him for the response. Through an expert training and practice, though his expert training and practice were used in the decisive moment, Stephen credits his faith to God for keeping him calm and focused throughout the unimaginable situation. Wow, thank you so much for being with us today, Stephen. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. And, you know, as I say to any of our guests that are, are coming on for the purpose of talking about some of the worst moments, most traumatic moments of their lives. Thank you so much for being willing to continue to talk about that time and those incidents, because it does help others be aware and educate them to the dangers around us and the need for, for training and, and preparedness. Um, so thank you for that. Well, I, I tell people that it truly is for me, it, it's a little bit of an outlet and, and therapeutic for me uh, to think that I might help someone else to get that survival mindset to, to come to terms with what would happen if it, if it happened to me and to make those decisions ahead of time because you know they say that your body can never go where your mind's never been mm -hmm. so I encourage people when they hear about a situation such as this to decide in their heads what they would do and decide that they would take action because you never know uh, Sutherland Springs is a little town of under 600 total population. And if you think it can never happen here where you are, you're wrong. It could happen and be beginning to be more likely to happen. And that's still a very small percentage. You're more likely to get struck by lightning, but, but still it could happen. And if you don't think about these situations ahead of time and make a, a conscious decision that you will not be a victim, I'm going to react like a survivor would act. Absolutely. And then you start thinking that way. And then you start getting the training to make that happen. Well, the proof of that pudding, that by you taking the actions that you took, and then talking about how it happened, what happened, the proof of the pudding that it matters to do these things is what happened one month after Sutherland Springs uh, in another Texas church with your now friend, J uh, Jack, Jack Wilson. Wilson. Jack Wilson. Talk about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So Jack Wilson, it, it was a month and a half after Sutherland Springs happened. I guess right after Sutherland Springs happened, Jack Wilson started working it out in his own mind 
that uh, they needed to have a safety response team. And uh, Jack Wilson was a, I guess you would say, a, I think he was a reservist, a police re reserve officer. Uh, and he had the right mindset. He was a range instructor. He owns his own shooting range, just like I did. Uh, and had taught the concealed carry permits and instructed people to be more abled. Well, Jack, right away after Sutherland Springs happened, thought, I want to protect our church. And he started a team within a month and a half after Sutherland Springs happened because of what happened in Sutherland Springs. And it was a few, it was a couple of years afterwards, a armed man come, came in with a shotgun and killed two members of Jack's church. And Jack shot across and it was about a, a 15, 15 foot or no, about a, about a 50 foot, about 15 yard shot across the pews. He headshot the guy within six seconds of when it started. And Jack himself said, I don't recommend people shooting for the head. He said, but because of everybody coming apart and scrambling in the pews, he said, that was my only clear shot that I had that I could not hit anyone else accidentally. And so he took a 15-yard head shot. And it, the videos out there, it was amazing. And Jack was just cool as a cool as a cucumber made that shot ended the threat and only two people other than the the gunman died that day and you know your incident your actions uh inspired him to take he already understood the importance of training but to say well i'm just one person how can i form a team because clearly the threat is real and it can happen here. And then it did happen there. So his team, his team had logged over 900 hours of training. Wow. Uh, they, they trained at his facility and he trained them. And, and uh, real shortly after he took that shot, team members ran in and you can see them running into the the church down the aisles with their guns drawn and they were ready also to assist whatever and shut the the um shut the system down mm -hmm. and had everything in hand when the police department showed up everything was already everyone it was calmed down everything was neutralized and uh they were watching out over their whole congregation and that shows the importance of, you know, the good guy, the trained individual with a firearm, the responsibly armed citizen. And the Sutherland Springs Church, they weren't oblivious to that. But through a series of, you know, people's schedules, I, I believe you were telling me off air, it turned out that instead of having a team fully in place, you know, different people were in different places and and they weren't inside the church that morning it can you talk about that just briefly i believe that there are no coincidences in life and the bible talks about that too the the fact that the uh, i believe that the devil has his timing and so does god mm -hmm. and uh, i so the pastor normally carried at the church and Frank Pomeroy at that moment was carrying, uh, was uh, in Oklahoma City training mm -hmm. to be able to be a black powder instructor, mm -hmm. to be able to instruct the youth in black powder or primitive weapons uh, for the summer camp. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was there and he normally carried. Rod Green normally carried at the church, and Rod Green was a uh, former um, army, and he served in Vietnam, 
and he carried normally at the church. And I, I truly believe that Rob is the kind of person that would have responded. He's been in battle. He would have responded correctly. But that particular day was the day that the time changed. And yeah. he knew the pastor was out of town and he chose to go and feed his cattle before he went to church. He was going to be late. And so he was late for church that morning. And there was another man that normally carried and he was late for church that morning also. And then the, the final person that normally carried had sent his gun with his wife because she was going on a road trip. Mm. He didn't want her to be unarmed on the road trip. So it sent his gun with her for the road trip. So all four men that normally carried at that church weren't there that morning. Mm. And it's like, it's like Satan said, today's the day. And God said, but you forgot about my servant, Stephen. <laughs> Normally, I would have been in my own church that was about 35, 40 miles down the road. But I was supposed to start an on-call at my hospital. I worked as a maintenance plumber and one out of every eight weeks. So what are the chances? One out of every eight weeks, I was going to be on call, and it just so happened that I was going to start my on call on Monday morning, and I was going to work anywhere from 20 to 30 extra hours that week, and I knew it was the calls were going to come in at 1, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever. I would have to be at work, and so knowing this, I was going to, I stayed home from church to be able to get some rest, mm -hmm. rest up for the oncoming week. Now, like I say, normally I would have been at my own church far away from this church. Mm -hmm. And so I was in condition white. I was sitting at the house uh, in my bedroom, checking my messages on my phone, just relaxing. Mm -hmm. uh, and someone said, you didn't take time to put your shoes on. I said, I didn't. They said, I couldn't, can't believe you didn't take time to put your shoes on. I said, you're lucky I had pants on. <laughs> Because this would be a totally different story if I had not had pants on. Uh, you know, they call me the barefoot defender because I run across the street barefoot. Uh, I, and I'm so glad they don't call me the pantsless defender. Exactly. That's funny. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Well, that probably would have stopped the guy like, what is happening? Um, so, but so, can, can Stephen, can you kind of refresh this? Okay. So you. You got out and uh, in your barefoot, and then what happened? Well, as I ran across the street, first, when I ran out the door, my daughter had made me aware of it, and she called 911. And I, I asked her, she called 911. She said, I did, they're aware of it. And so as I ran out of the house, I had an AR-15 in one hand and a a magazine that I just stuck eight rounds in and I didn't even know how many rounds I put in it but as I ran out the door I just grabbed them a handful of ammunition and started sticking them in the magazine and checked up the magazine as I ran outside the door my daughter followed me mm -hmm. outside and I turned and I looked at her I said go back in the house and load me another magazine I said, I just have a handful of ammunition and I may need more. And she went back into the house. I knew she couldn't go in and find a magazine and load me a magazine. Uh, but I didn't want her to be a victim also. He had way too many people that I cared greatly about. I didn't want my daughter following me into battle. Mm -hmm. I didn't want her to be there as a target for him. Right nor did I want her to see me fail if I was going to fail. Mm. And then she would have run to my side and she would have been his next mm -hmm. target. So mm -hmm. she went back in the house. And as I ran across the street, I yelled out. And I truly believe that the Holy Spirit was on me. Because why would I yell out? I, I, I can't explain calling out. And why I would do that, I know that is giving away the element of surprise. Uh, tactically, it was the worst thing I could do. But I don't believe that I could help it. I believe God called a demon out within the church. And I think that was his voice that yelled out from me. Wow. And in the church at that very moment, 
He had just shot Chris Workman's mother, Julie, through the breast, and then he shot Chris in the back. He paralyzed Chris from the waist down, and he was walking over, and he aiming his pistol, and Chris said, I could see him point the pistol directly at me, and he said, I thought, okay, I'm going to meet Jesus at that moment, mm -hmm. and Chris heard me yell out, and as soon as he did, the shooter stood up, dropped his rifle in the church, why would he do that, right. and turned and came out of that building and shooting at me. Yeah. Now, reality tells you it would have taken two seconds to finish Chris and his mother off yeah. and then come out and meet me. Right. But when Jesus walked into the garden, the two possessed men saw him. And the demons within them said, we know who you are. Have you come here to torment us before our time? And Jesus drove those demons out of those men. And I believe it was that same voice that called out. And when a demon is called by God, it has no other response than to comply immediately. Absolutely. So he dropped his rifle in the church and came out and started shooting at me he hit the truck in front of me he shattered the windshield of the car behind me and he hit the house behind me and i heard god speak to me and said don't worry about those shots do what i sent you here for he had on class three body armor and a ballistic style bulletproof helmet and the shield a dark tinted shield that came down to here and police asked me later what race he was. I said, I have no clue. Can you give me some sort of description? He could have been a robot. I, I, all I saw was his mouth from here down. That's all I saw. I hit his left chest, went into the body armor. I hit him in the abdomen, went into the body armor, but he felt it. Had his vehicle parked in the middle of the street with the engine running and the driver's side door open. And as he turned to his side to get into his vehicle, I saw the tight bulletproof vest he had, has a front plate, a back plate, Velcros across the side. I saw where it Velcroed across the side. I put a, a bullet high in his side and I put a bullet in his legs. I put it between the plates. Mm -hmm. I put it in his legs. He was able to get into his vehicle. And Joe Biden says, we're going to teach police officers to shoot, shoot bad guys in the legs. <laughs> so just so you understand, he was shot in the legs. Yeah. Got into his vehicle, slammed the door, and he put two rounds through the side window. And I saw the glass open up and the glass pieces falling. <sighs> I put one where I perceived his head to be. It split across his forehead. Mm. right underneath the rim of the helmet split across his forehead he accelerated he knew he was in trouble mm -hmm. easy to shoot women and children hiding under pews and stuff now all of a sudden he's being hit mm -hmm. and every time he pulled the trigger at me he missed and every time i pulled the trigger he hurt somewhere mm. realized it he accelerated he turned the corner and started going as fast as he could away by the time i got in the middle of the street his vehicle was 150 yards down the road and I put one through the back windshield and the police say that went through the back windshield, shattered it, went through the driver's side seat and hit him just right, the left shoulder blade. And he topped the hill and left. And I'm standing in the middle of the street saying, it can't end this way. He's getting away. It can't end this way. I looked off to my left and there was a pickup truck parked there at the stop sign. He had witnessed the shootout and he was on a telephone talking to 911. And I ran over and I tapped on the window. I'd never met this man before in my life. I tapped on his window and I said, that guy just shot up the Baptist church and we have to stop him. Mm -hmm. Now look at this scene for just a moment. He just witnessed a shootout with a guy with, body armor on with a pistol and another guy with an AR-15 shooting it out in the street. In his bare feet. 
<laughs> and and then he sees one guy take off running and the guy with a rifle comes over and taps on his window and said that guy just shot off the church we need to stop him every sane person in this world probably would have put it on the floor and left me at the at the stop sign right so this, this is texas we're talking about we're not known for our sanity <laughs> a sense of duty a sense of belonging or whatever you yeah. want to call it yeah. The next thing I heard were the locks come open on Johnny's truck. And I climbed up into the cab of a truck with a long, tall, good-looking young Texan mm -hmm. uh, with a white Western hat, feather mm -hmm. sticking out of the hat, <laughs> a long horn skull tattooed in the middle of his neck, and the horns run up underneath his ears. Uh -huh. And I described Johnny and people think I'm joking about it, but no, he's 100% Texan. <laughs> I climbed up in the cab. He's still on the phone with 911. And we take off running as fast as that truck could take us down the road, dodging vehicles, splitting cars and, and pursuing. And as I ran down the road, I dropped the magazine and I'm looking one round in the top of the magazine, one in the chamber. I got two rounds left. Mm. And, and right away I told Johnny I said tell them hurry hurry I have two rounds left and he's still got on class three body armor mm -hmm. so we're running down the street at over 95 miles per hour is what Johnny said oh yeah 100 miles per hour wouldn't surprise me at all he was he was running as fast as that truck could go and and, and at first we didn't even see the shooter mm -hmm. and he's trying to give dispatch as we cross roads and stuff he's telling dispatch where we are and we're in pursuit and uh finally we came up behind the truck and the suv it was a little uh ford escape and i knew that was it because his grain color of the back windshield was busted out mm -hmm. i said that's him that's him and i said if you catch him you're gonna have to put him off the road and johnny at this point had not said anything to me at all mm -hmm. i still didn't know his name and he turned and looked at me just matter-of-factly and said, yep, I already figured that. Mm -hmm. And Johnny's probably thinking, I always wanted to try a pit maneuver. <laughs> and if he wasn't, then he, he was getting ready to, right? That's it. Johnny already made it up in his head. He's going to put the guy off the road. Wow. And uh, before we got to him, he pulled off to the right-hand side of the road into the ditch. Mm -hmm. and he had a, a road sign right in front of his vehicle and uh that moment johnny pulled up still on the road behind him and stopped and i put my rifle out of the passenger side window and opened up the door with my uh, left hand and i was going to push the door open i was going to step out into the street use the door for a shield and re-engage him. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to have to be good. Mm. I got two rounds left. I can't waste anything at this right. point. Right. I pushed the door open and, and I started to step out. And before I got my foot on the ground, the shooter accelerated. He hit the sign. It flipped over the vehicle and went right back up on the road. And uh, I barely got my foot in the door before Johnny was off running after him again. Wow. This time he swerved off to the left-hand side of the road through a fence and out into a field about 50 yards. And I told Johnny, I said, whatever you do, get down below the dash and just stay out of the gunfire. Mm -hmm. And I opened up the door this time and walked around and put the rifle out over the hood. And Johnny did whatever millennial would do in this world. He pulled out his phone and started videoing me with the phone. <laughs> and I was like, really, this is what you want to do at this point? <laughs> uh, your view viewers need to know. <laughs> they need to know. Estimated five to seven minutes behind me. Mm. Or five to seven minutes behind me. Mm -hmm. And in a church full of victims they couldn't last another five to seven minutes he had already dropped 15 30 round magazines in and around the church and was continuing to kill people from pew to pew that's when they say when seconds count seconds are what count 
minutes are an eternity. Well, uh, Chris Burke wrote a book, and in the subtitle of the book, When Seconds Count, Police Are Only Minutes Away. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to put down our men and women in blue. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I would say uh, kudos to them. They were charging into a situation that they knew there was a mass shooter, and they didn't even know most of the people that were in the church. Mm-hmm. And they're charging in to risk their own lives to, mm-hmm. to do what they can. But uh, the police were five to seven minutes behind me. Yeah, You are your <clears throat> first responder. Absolutely. And you need to learn that nobody's coming to help you in any t- kind of timely situation. Police generally get there in time to mop up the blood, mm-hmm. take the evidence, and hopefully arrest someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to have a mindset that it's not going to happen if I have any say so in the situation. Right. I'm going to stop it as quickly as I can. And no one's coming to assist me until it's done. When the police finally arrived on the scene, which seemed like an eternity for me, mm-hmm. I was focused on my sight and my rifle pointing at the driver's side door and yelling, get out, get out. And there was no movement and I couldn't see inside the vehicle because it was parked away from me at a just a little bit of an angle, but parked away from me. I couldn't see what was going on inside. And I've got my rifle focused and finally a police cruiser showed up and I heard the PA system and say driver get out of the vehicle with your hands up and i turned and looked up the left and 50 yards from me was a squad car and he keyed the mic again he said driver get out of the vehicle with your hands up and here's another thing your listeners need to know when the police show up comply 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 that officer wants to go home to his family that evening and he might not know you're the good guy. Mm-hmm. So I laid my rifle on the hood of the truck and I started back to the back of the truck with my hands out, my palms facing him. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to know I am not the threat. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he made eye contact with me and he keyed the mic one more time and he said, Not you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he knew that I was the good guy, hmm. but That's I not always the case. Huh? That's not always the case. You it's know, they're coming in blind. The they don't know. They, they may not know, but I was talking to dispatch and dispatch was, was relaying them information, but you know how things, when you speak, don't always come out the way they should. And I didn't know that he knew who I was until he said that. And at that point, I ran back over to the hood of the truck. I picked up my rifle because even he was 100 yards from the guy. I was 50 yards from the guy. He was standing behind his door with his PA system in in his left hand, his pistol in his right. He was 100 yards from the shooter. I was 50 yards from the shooter. I had a rifle. He had a pistol. He knew even at that moment, I had a tactical advantage over him. Yes. And uh, so I waited until several other police cars got there Mm -hmm. and they started pulling out AR-15s. And I'm thinking, I am, I am so done now. They got this. They don't (laughs) need it. I pulled the rifle off the hood and I laid it on the toolbox behind Johnny's cab. And now I'm trying to sit there and hold on to the edge of the bed of Johnny's truck and get my feet into shade. Mm. It was November 5th. And I know not all the states that listen to you understand this, but it was 90 degrees that day in yeah. Texas uh-huh. on November 5th. And I'm trying to get my feet in the shade. They're, they're now starting to cook. <laughs> my dogs are barking. <laughs> and so I, st- I stayed that way for another 30 45 minutes and I'm 50 yards from the police line and I'm thinking okay I don't know what's going on or why they haven't came up to the truck I don't know but my feet 
I can't wait here any longer. And I started to run back to the police line and they came over to the PA system, say, stay there, stay there, stay there. We're going to send a cruiser up for you to use as cover to come back here. And so they sent a police cruiser up there and I kind of squatted down and ran beside it to get back to the police line. And now everything's, my hands start shaking. Sure. That adrenaline down. I just right? come down off of an adrenaline high like you can't believe. My hands are shaking, and they set me down on a uh, uh, a rail there by the road. And an officer walks by, and I said, "Excuse me, can I call my wife?" Two hundred yards up the road, I can see my wife's car up there, mm -hmm. and they won't let her down. The fire department's blocked it all off. He said, "Sure, call your wife." I said, "No, can I use your phone?" He said, what, you don't have a phone? I said, look, I'm barefoot. <laughs> the phone was the last thing I was interested in. <laughs> right. So he let me use the phone and I called and I said, can, can you get me some shoes? Yeah. My wife says, all I have is my Crocs. I said, can you, can you let me, and my heels are going to stick out that far over Crocs or whatever. <laughs> I said, I'll take them. Can you get them, David? No, they won't let me down mm. there. And and so the officer said, uh, I, I asked the officer, I said, can I, can I go get the Crocs from, no, you need to stay here. Yeah. I said, but my feet are hot. I need something for my feet. And he opens up the back of his police cruiser and said, you can sit in the back of my cruiser. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. My feet are cooking. But I don't want to sit in the back of a cruiser at this point. Yeah. But no. it it was a crazy day and I want to recognize some of the people within the church because Julie Workman, I referenced her earlier. She had been shot through the breast and one skipped off the concrete into her leg and through her leg and her son was shot in the back and was paralyzed and he knew it instantly. And when the shooter left, Julie looked over at a little girl that had been shot through the head that moments before had been swinging around her legs and swing, singing praises to God. Yeah. And Julie started screaming. Hmm. Gunny Macias, and no one seems to even know Gunny's first name. They just call him Gunny. He's a retired gunnery sergeant, Marine Corps. Immediately after the shooter left, Gunny barked out on his loud Marine Corps voice, hallelujah, hallelujah, even in this, praise God. Oh, wow. He had been shot five times in the abdomen, couldn't even stand up from his own wounds. Gunny lived and survived through battles and stuff as a Marine and in his own church, in his own home, uh, was shot five times in the abdomen. And then... Julie screamed out because she saw this little girl and Gunny said, Julie, we need you. He barked out, Julie, we need you. None of this took God by surprise and you were made for this moment. We need you. And Julie, bleeding from her own wounds, started tying tourniquets and saving lives within the church. And a little girl came to Gunny and said, Gunny, I'm scared. And Gunny started singing Jesus Loves Me with a little five-year-old girl. Oh, wow. He went from using his abilities as a gunnery sergeant, barking orders, saving lives within the church with his voice yes. to comforting a little girl singing Jesus Loves Me with her. Wow. Zach Poston's mother or Zach Poston's grandmother. When the shooter came to Zach, Zach shoved another little girl underneath a pew with his foot. And for that, the shooter shot Zach seven times. Ooh. And in the end, Zach's grandmother crawled on top of Zach and saved Zach's life and sacrificed her own. And then when the paramedics got there, Zach Poston, they tied tourniquets on both his arms and his legs. And he started saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. Save the children. Mm. Wow. Uh, the first officer on the spot was 
Hank Farnett. Hank, uh, you know, when my wife talks about Hank, she one time said, Hank looks all of 12 years old. And I said, oh, come on, baby, give him some credit. He looks like he's at least 15. <laughs> but Hank was the first officer on the scene. Hank runs the uh, qualifications and stuff for his department to qualify everybody with a gun. He came running in with an AR-15 ready to do battle. Mm -hmm. And when he saw the shooter was gone already, mm -hmm. Hank went out to his car because for years he had been collecting trauma kits out of his own pocket. Oh, wow. Opened up the trunk to his car, distributed trauma kits, and he tied four tourniquets, saving four lives. Wow. Before the EMS or anyone else got there. <clears throat> wow. That's phenomenal. And the very hospital that I worked for, University Hospital that day, was having an active shooter drill oh my gosh on a sunday and all the doctors and nurses saying why are you having this on a sunday when we could be spending time with our families mm. at church mm. and the real call came out and since it was all hands on deck they were able to get all 20 ors up and running before the first victim showed up because they were already there wow if you That's... can't see god's hand in this you're yeah. willfully blind. Amen to all. Yeah, of and that. and I look at the, what a what a what a thing you had to go through. Thank you very much, Stephen, for that, for sharing that with us. But I look at that, and when people say that you know guns are bad, and if you wouldn't have been there to to help with that, several more people. This man was intending on killing everyone in that congregation and getting away. He and left getting his away. truck, and he had bullet running. you know bulletproof running. Right. You know, um, so he had his own self-preservation in mind and we're, we're running super short on time. So I do want to, to give everybody like the end of the story. So did, did the bad guy get arrested? Did he die of his own hand? Did he die of the wounds uh, that, uh, you know, you were he, there to inflict? He called his father and his, his wife. He had handcuffed his wife to the bed that morning when he left with two infants in the house he had handcuffed her to the bed and she was pregnant with his child also yeah. and he had handcuffed her before he left and before he started shooting he called his father and said my wife needs you go to my house and so his wife and his father were together and as we were chasing him down the road he called his wife and his father and said i've done something horrible and I've been shot multiple times. I'm not going to make it. And he turned the gun to his head and, and ended it. He committed suicide. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's, that is just so uh, convoluted. And, and, you know, there's uh, lots that we can, you know, go back and, and probably unpack about it, him and his mindset and his motives. But uh, the fact that you know, there is evil among us and it, it probably looks normal until it doesn't. I, do, I truly believe that he was possessed, that he was demon possessed. And as Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, he, um, when he, I believe that the demon had left Judas at that point after Jesus had been crucified. And so what, what, he took 30 pieces of silver, threw it into the temple, and he went out and hung himself. Mm -hmm. After the demons had left Judas to his own despair and to realize what he had done, mm -hmm. he went out and hung himself. And I believe that was the case with this man. He realized what he had done. Why else would he make the statement, I've done something evil. I've done something right. horrible. Right. I've been shot multiple times. I'm not going to make it. And he killed himself. I truly believe that... At that moment, the demons had left him to his own despair. Mm. He knew what he had done, and so he ended it. Wow. Wow. So uh, it is so hard to even leave that story and try to transition to something else. Uh, but time is not our friend ever, right? But definitely uh, in, in the story you're talking about and, and right now. Um, we are going to have you out here in Arizona uh, very soon. 
there is a big annual Second Amendment uh, celebrate and protect the Second Amendment rally event that I'm blessed to help organize every year. And you are going to be our our end note speaker. Um, I know everybody will be so excited to to meet you in person, have an opportunity to shake your hand, take selfies, um, listen to your speech. But there's an organization that we need to thank for uh, putting this together that that you and I are going to meet each other in person in Arizona, and that is U.S. Law Shield. They are sponsoring you to come to Arizona and to speak to our audience about the importance of, as we've titled this episode, thinking like a survivor, being trained, being prepared. Um, what is your relationship with U.S. Law Shield? How did that all come about? I actually work with U.S. Law Shield. I have my own promo code. If you go sign up for U.S. Law Shield, and please do. Uh, and if you sign up with good guy with a gun, all together, no good guy with a gun, uh, use that promo code, you actually get two months free for signing oh up. Gosh. And uh, so please use my promo code. It'll help you as well as myself. Okay. I'm also doing two two to three where they haven't told me it's two definitely but maybe a third workshop with uh u.s law shield while i'm in phoenix mm -hmm. uh, so please come to the workshop uh and you can see what u.s law shield has to offer you it's a prepaid law service if you use your hands use a bat a chain a car whatever as a, a weapon yeah a rock as a weapon and you get arrested for it. U.S. Law Shield will take care of all of your, your bills, your lawyer services and stuff, and will defend you all the way till there's no appeals left. And uh, they don't have a cap on the amount of money they spend on fighting for you, for your legal use of a firearm or whatever, you know. Uh, they will defend you. And, and today's world, that is excellent. I, I, I didn't know I needed a lawyer. I didn't need lawyer for my defense as far as legal defense after Sutherland Springs, but I needed a lawyer that defended me uh, actually against the media. The media was horrible. And you don't under, uh, it's something I never would have thought that I needed a lawyer for, but I did. And uh mm -hmm. Uh, just to defend myself in the public domain. You know, they told lies and stuff and were called on it by lawyers and uh, straightened out and had to print retractions and things like that. And so U.S. Law Shield is something that you really, really need to look into and sign up and come to a workshop and talk to the good lawyers and stuff in your area in Arizona. Uh, so U.S. Law Shield is, is good to have on your side. And I'll, hopefully I'll see your viewers at our workshops. You know, look them up, find out when they're doing it. And uh, please come to the workshop. I'd love to meet and shake your hand. Absolutely. Well, that is so important for people to understand and to know is that, you know, uh, and, and sometimes people in your position that did all the right things for all the right reasons, they do still end up in a jail cell and their firearm confiscated almost always, right? And they do need a lawyer to work through those pieces of it. And that's expensive. And you can't go to work if you're in the middle of something like this. Um, so I, that is very well said. And I know Dan wants to say a thing and no, we've got to fly out no, of here. It's, it's all good. I, I, I'm speechless. This whole <laughs> thing. I mean, you did a great job presenting and... Um, I really appreciate you sharing that story. Just just start going out to the range and getting trained. Remember, uh, carrying a gun is a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And uh, every bullet that you pull the trigger on, you are responsible for. Whether it hits its mark or whether it misses, you're responsible for whatever it hits when it misses. Right. Uh, so... It, you know, it's your right to carry. 
it's your responsibility to get trained. To train. Right. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Uh, can you tell folks like, uh, other than seeing you at the rally in Arizona on Saturday, February 19th, that's at our Arizona state Capitol from 10 AM to 2 PM. Uh, other than that, other than using your promo code, good guy with a gun with us law shield, are there ways that people can follow uh, because you're still doing a lot of work in the Texas legislature and uh, you know, you're, you're very involved. You're doing a lot of things. How can we stay connected to you? So go to YouTube and in the search, search for barefoot defender and uh, barefoot defender. Uh, please subscribe to my page and uh, hit the notification bell and give me a thumbs up. Absolutely. And I have a website and it's the barefootdefender.com uh, where you can go and you can book me to speak and you can also uh, go there. I have merchandise and you can find, find merchandise on my website and you can uh, see where I'm going to go, where I'm going to be at and uh, coming to a state near you. I also sign, I help churches and businesses set up safety response teams and train them properly and stuff. And I, I work with several different organizations like Survival Mindset in Pennsylvania and, and Sheepdog Seminars and um, Strategus International. You can see where I'm going and what I'm doing. And please sign up there at thebarefootdefender.com. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you guys. Absolutely. Thank you again so much for your service. Thank you for uh, sharing your story with us and for all you do. Um, I look forward to meeting you in person in Arizona very soon. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye, Stephen. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a story. I mean, I, I'm still moved on. I, I, can't, I can't comprehend. And, you know, just the thing about training, 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 training. None of us have enough. I don't, I mean, I don't think so, because how do you know what you're going to be presented right. with, right? Exactly. You don't know exactly. <clears throat> Just like him, he would have never trained barefoot. No, I had never but, known that, you know, I mean, he, he probably looks back and goes, why didn't I already have a magazine loaded? Right. Things you know, like this, that. Yes. This, this things. And, um, but I tell you, I'd much rather be in that position that he's in than what if I would have, exactly. what could I have done, you know? The gentleman that's trying to help his wife, right? His wife's going on a, a road trip, one of the right. congregants of the church. He's like, here, wife, I want you to be protected. You take my handgun. Now he doesn't have a handgun. Um, you know, things like that. Just thinking ahead and saying, well, how do we make sure that she has her own and I have my own? And, you know, all those kinds of things. But, you know, training is more than just knowing how to manipulate your firearm. Right. And Much I think more. sometimes people, that's as far as they go with it. Um, and it is about, you know, understanding, you know, if I'm not inside my own home and something happens, where am I carrying? How do I get to the thing I'm carrying, the tool I'm carrying? Like you said, your body can't do what your mind hasn't done. Exactly. Is that what he said? Your body won't go where your mind hasn't been. Right. So yes, training is so important. All right. We have got to fly out of here. My goodness. I, I mean, that's, that's a story that it, it impacts you on so many layers and so many levels. It's going to be, I think with us for, for quite a while. What, what politician out there? Okay. My angry hat's coming on now. Uh oh. <clears throat> what politician out there can hear that story and say, we need gun-free zones. We need all they focus on is the bad guy and what the bad guy did with what tool? Oh, the gun. Well, if I'm not mistaken, the bad guy and Stephen Williford both had the exact same kind of tool, right? The AR-15 that's trying to be vilified. And it's like, so if it's the gun that's bad, then how do you explain Stephen Williford? Right? It's not the gun that's bad. It's the human being misusing the gun, whatever the tool. We is. have attention politicians. We have bad people out there. And we have to protect ourselves from bad people. And the law enforcement can't do it on their own. Citizens have a right to protect themselves. 
a right, not a privilege. Right, a right, right to protect themselves. So don't take something away from me to prevent me from defending my family or friends or strangers. Absolutely, which is this whole story. Um, so again, if you can be in Arizona on February 19th of the year 2022, because sometimes these shows get watched years what later, right? Perfect time to be in Arizona. Oh, the weather is always and that's a beautiful, beautiful area. The beautiful trees. And it's gorgeous. The Arizona State Capitol. It is a family-friendly festival type event. We have a junior Patriot Park. Uh, so bring the kids, bring the neighbors. Uh, I think we have almost 30 speakers. Stephen Williford will be one of them. Lots of great vendors, amazing, delicious food trucks. It is just a fun, beautiful day. Bring some lawn chairs, bring a blanket. Uh, plan to spend the entire time, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It is just an amazing uh, time of, of togetherness and meeting with your, your friends and that you don't even know you have yet. So please come out to that on February 19th. It's a Saturday, 2022, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Arizona State Capitol Lawn. All right. Thank you, Stephen Williford. Just yes. thank you. I'm a for everything and for spending this time with us. Thank you to our listeners. People all over the world now are going to, if they haven't already heard this story, they're going to be touched by these events and can consider their own situation. Am I prepared enough? Am I thinking like a survivor? Thank you to our listeners. Um, we've got to get out of here, but until next time, Dan, what are we going to do? Pray for our politician, pray for our leaders. I'm not coming. I'm not going to call them leaders. I'm sorry. Pray for them. And pray for our nation. Uh, and the, the few people out there that, that rub us the wrong way and that we don't like, pray for them especially. All right. Yes. Until next time, be good to each other. Have a great week. And God bless. Bye-bye.